What's up, everybody? This is Grant, that cause artist. Welcome to another episode of the Disruptors for Good podcast. And today we have a phenomenal episode with Joe Demon and Rachel Connors, the founders of Yellow Leaf Hammocks, which is one of the original social enterprises that I covered when I started the website in 2013. They sort of started really getting into flow in 2014. So uh, I, I remember when and they had a couple designs out and to see them you know come this far is just it just their story just i think really proves just passion for what you do and just a real real belief in your ability as a company and as founders and as in your mission what can be possible they just raised one million dollars uh after being on shark tank from the founder of kind snacks invested one million dollars into their company to help them grow and scale and they do a really good job of talking about their journey. This is sort of the first time they've really talked about everything in a long format. They, Like they said in the podcast, they have really been, you know, in the weeds on the grind for the last few years and not really not have talked to, you know, a lot of outlets to tell their story. They were really concentrating on, you know, building the company, building the products, having a sustainable impact, making sure that that part of things uh, was in their long-term plans and that they could keep this community that they talk about in rural Thailand, all the impact that the, the company has made there just from consumers, you know, believing in the product and, and purchasing it. The end result is a community is sort of like thriving and kids are going to college like where they've never went to college before, right? Like little things like this is a generation changing type of, of trajectory for, for a community, right? And it's a, uh, it's just amazing. I, I, I love everything about Joe and Rachel and, and I think their story is incredible. It's it's super inspiring. I think that's that's what I enjoyed most about the conversation is that look, they, they started with just a couple dozen hammocks, right? Selling it out of Rachel's Volkswagen, right? Talking to their customers and, and figuring out what the price point is, like what's a good price point? What would you pay for this? Is <laughs> just asking people. You know, feeling the fabrics and getting their thoughts. I mean getting customer feedback face to face, you know, it was just huge for them. And it was starting as small as you can start, right? Buy a dozen, sell a dozen, buy 30, sell 30, buy 100, sell 100, you know, and so forth and so on. It just accumulates over time to build a brand where the founder of Kind Snacks invests a million dollars in you, right? It's powerful. So I hope you love the conversation. We start from the beginning and, and we go up to, to now and we touch on so many different topics. Like it's it's so informative, um, so educational, and I loved it. So hope you guys enjoyed it as well. As always, grant at causeartist.com if you have any questions or thoughts. Hope you guys have a great day and have a great week. And I will see you in the next episode. Thanks. Bye. So usually how I like to, to start these conversations is, is about the journey. Yeah, so I, I've always kind of had an entrepreneurial type career and I was on the track to go to business school actually, um, mm-hmm. which was not quite entrepreneurial um, for, for me at least. And so um, this was at, in 2006 when I graduated college, you know, the recession was coming around. I was in corporate world for a couple of years uh, and I saved up all my vacation days. Uh, <laughs> this was 2011, I believe. Um, and I uh, went backpacking with some friends, you know, for like a three week trip to Thailand and midway through it, I was on an island and and I came across a hammock that was on uh, in a little shop over the water, super remote. 
and I jumped into the hammock and I was immediately struck by how comfortable it was, how different it was from what I experienced in all my other travels. And I wanted right. to buy the hammocks. And so I started asking questions about where is it made? Where is it from? And this shopkeeper told me the story of the Malabri tribe and how they were weaving these hammocks um, and how weaving hammocks they actually helped them go from being on the brink of extinction as a, as a culture and society um, to eradicating malaria in their village and providing uh, really high paid jobs in their community. And all this positive change was being created through weaving these hammocks. And I was like, wow, this story is insane. And this is about the time Tom's shoes was already starting to happen. So yep. I was familiar with social enterprise, but this was a, a model of impact that went a lot deeper than um, kind of the traditional kind of handout charity model. And so Correct. I yep. was really, that story stuck with me in a week later, I decided I needed to go visit this village. I couldn't get this out of my head. Mm -hmm. And so um, I actually contacted the shopkeeper and he was able to connect me with the weavers and the original aid worker who started working with them up in the mountains of Northern Thailand. And so I convinced this uh, cab driver to take me to this village 600 miles away. Um, <laughs> and it was also the cab driver's probably craziest day of his career as well, because he basically shadowed me around through the jungle and off-roaded into there. And but what was what struck me when I went there and what really inspired kind of the, me taking the next step was that um, I got to see this home based production model uh, where mm. people were like their lives were being transformed and they were they were taking control of that transformation. It wasn't being driven by anyone else other than them and this amazing product that they were creating. And people had heard how well they could how much money they could earn, how, how great the impact would be. And they would hike as far away as from like the Loatian border to this community. And they were being turned away because there weren't enough sales or not, there weren't enough jobs, which was driven by not enough sales. Sure, sure. Really going outside of a couple of places in Thailand. And immediately I was like, well, this is a great product. I, I'll bring home a bunch of hammocks and like screw business school. Like this is amazing. We can build a hammock company. Like that's going to transform uh, the world. You know, very naive. Man. So I came home sure. with backpack stuff full of hammocks and Rachel and I were living together at the time in Boston. Uh, and that's where her kind of nonprofit background and development work, all the like the genesis, the next genesis of like actually sure. making happen came together and that's that was the initial inspiration for me yeah yeah i mean joe came home with just i just remember like the biggest smile a backpack <laughs> full of hammocks he had his business plan written on the barf bag from the plane uh and he was like saw no problems so no way this wouldn't work it was very clear to him and um so i had the joyful position of being like a little bit of an emergency break on the enthusiasm and saying let's let's see how this let's see before we make any promises right. before you know tell people we're going to change their lives let's just see what people's reactions to the products are and so one of the things that really formed the way we started the business and it, you know informed how we run things to this day was going out and just like starting out really small you know we bought a pop-up tent we went to these little festivals and fairs we sold hammocks out of the back of my volkswagen for you know month, two summers um just kind of mm. see hearing what people would say taking that feedback you know um and and using it to sh shape our product offering so like the best examples i could give would be people said 
Um, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, I got a hammock on vacation once, but I never hung it up. And so we were always like helping people figure out how to hang these hammocks they'd already bought. And I was like, man, that's so sad. Mm-hmm. And if people get these hammocks, I want all their neighbors to get in. I want everyone, I want them to get in. I want this new social media thing. I want them to, to you know, <laughs> about it. and so we, we uh, every hammock now that we sell goes out with a hammocking 101 guide that tells you exactly how to hang it up. We have concierge support questions you know so we really ensure that people get in there and relax or like we heard people say oh i used to have a hammock but it fell apart and so we found the most weather safe materials and you know hammocks that you know fit into our our version of sustainability which is like endurance and you know not needing to replace it and so just you know the first i don't know thousand hammocks we sold were all person to person face to face have to Mm. figure out our pricing, everything. And so, yeah. well, the, the other thing we, we learned through that time was that um, we did not lead with mission at all. Like we really made a conscious right. decision to, first off, we wanted to like, see was, is Joe crazy? Like, or do other people? <laughs> and what we did was we just sold the hammocks based on the merit of the product being superior. And people asked the same questions that I asked in that shop. Oh my God, this is so soft. They had like literally the same experience that I had. Um, and it was really powerful to connect with people at that level and hear them ask the same questions and then tell them the story. And then they had already been sold on the product quality and the aesthetic and everything else. And they're like, okay. And we figured out how to lead with product first, which is what I think is really important for a mission driven business. And at that time, I think that was a newer idea. You know, like, like I, I grew up in a wonderful, uh, and globally progressive family where I was often being given, uh, you know, handcrafted items from people's journeys and Mm. they just didn't have, you know, the quality or the style that would make them something I would really use and treasure. And so that was something that we wanted to, to change around, kind of flip it, the product first and the product, because it's so good the mission becomes financially sustainable. Super important. I think it's it's fantastic that you you kind of looked at that early on. Cuz I think usually that that might come a come a little later, but I, I love to to see the the evolution of social enterprise because that story was so perfect of what you said cuz usually I think when people think of, you know, social impact products, they think of like, you know, a little bracelet or something you know, made in Kenya or something like that, right? And it's it's not like a product you would see on a shelf like in, in Target or something, right? Like but now I think the evolution of, of the industry, the products are superior to almost anything on the shelf, right? At any store you could find. Uh the quality is just as good, if not better. And then, you know, the mission and the sort of story behind it is then it becomes like a no brainer for a consumer, right? Like if they're in the market for anything, but obviously we'll, we'll say a hammock, right? I mean if you put your hammock up to somebody else's you know, the quality and then the story behind, like, it's just, it's almost a no brainer for, for the consumer. So like early on to get those thousand out the door, what, <laughs> what were some of the learnings from that? Cause that's a, that's a great sample size, right? People, yeah. people launch yeah. stuff way less. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, one of the great things was that we, it, it kind of shaped our business model in terms of like forcing us to be, we, we bootstrapped from the beginning, right? So sure. Joe came home with like a dozen hammocks, we sold those, we bought 30 more, sold those, bought a hundred, um, you know, and, and so I think that was like the best thing we could have right. done in terms of giving us space to explore and kind of having that growth. You know, we, we lived in San Francisco for a long time where the mindset is like, where's your hockey stick? You know? And we were, yeah, yeah. yeah. So pressure to, to grow fast. Yeah, yeah. It really instilled some good values for us in terms of growing our business and taking a much longer approach that we're now starting to see that like sharp rise and scale but the 
it took a lot of hustle, a lot of work. Uh, we had no, we started literally with the, the, the hammocks that I brought back. And so we, I mean, neither of us had any background in retail, um, anything with like web development or e-commerce. We had no background in like import export. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know what we had, but it wasn't anything that was particularly practical. Yeah. But going through the, the kind of person to person sales just gave us a lot of feedback. Mm shaping how, yeah. what people connect with, um, and shaping a lot of what we're doing finally, now that we have more resources in terms of like building out the solving the problems that exist with hammocks, you know, how to hang it, where to hang it, yeah. um, the weatherability of it, um, mm -hmm. really leaning into product innovation and design and like really owning like in this next phase, the IP behind what we're developing, because what we realize is that, uh, in the artisan sector, a lot of, and just in general, like all products, you know, Amazon that you find all over the place, yep. people go to, a, there's a handful of factories that manufacture things and people go to them and they just buy off the shelf products. Oh yeah. Manufacturing. That was another thing we didn't know <laughs> anything about. Yeah. <laughs> so learn a lot about how kind of products are made and that it's basically most of the stuff we buy is just from coming from the same factory with a different label on it. Right. And it's no long-term it's, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of longevity to those businesses. Um, they're not being built for to be like a hundred year old company. They're being built right. for, you know, capitalizing on whatever trends taking place. And that's fine for the, you know, both consumers and, and people running those companies. But for us, it was really important to build something that was going to provide long-term value to our weavers uh, and differentiate the company and provide again, long-term sustainable mm -hmm. impact so that in, you know, by the time we're done, the communities we're working in are out of poverty or even well before we're done, which we're yeah. starting to see now, um, that was super important. So yeah. we, we leaned into that. And something that I think like, you know, so I mentioned that we didn't have uh, a lot of, a lot of background. So in many cases we, you know, reinvented the wheel or <laughs> we invented these all new concepts that we thought we were making up only to later learn. They were like, you know, the cutting edge of social enterprise thought leadership. And we're like, oh, well, that's brilliant. <laughs> um, but one of the things that Joe felt really firmly about and was so good about was, was looking at sustainability from this very holistic perspective. So from day one, you know, we were, we were looking at and how can this be a venture that's not just, it's not just sustainable on one end or another, right? Mm -hmm. So we wanted to create the same positive benefit for the makers and for the consumer. Yeah. And part of creating that positive benefit for the makers is making sure that we have the margins to mm -hmm. to be able to continue this venture sure. and make sure that we are you know running things efficiently um, and we're not just being led by our good intentions. Um, we're we're also having a business sense, and so it's like finding that balance between how do we make it this win-win for everyone? That was, I think, just like such a good concept that you had such a grasp of mm -hmm. really early on. The, the first sort of face-to-face -face and the learnings from that, did you did you learn about price? Was that the biggest question you were asking them? Or, or was that the first question, right? Is this is this a good price point for you? Is it is it too cheap? Is it yeah. is it too much, right? I mean, that's obviously, uh, that obviously matures over time, that the price okay. model. Yeah. At first we started with like, people were like, how much were these, are these? And we were like, well, how much would you pay? <laughs> it literally started that way. And, Maybe your price. Huh? It, it was, it was. And I would just throw prices out there and see what people's reactions were. And you got to gauge it firsthand, right? Right, yeah, right. And then 
we, we set a price finally. And then when we started really trying to grow the business beyond just these direct sales that, mm -hmm. you know, little markets um, around New England, we, we quickly learned that we weren't pricing well for scaling into more of a wholesale market and getting it into stores. Mm -hmm. And so we ended up increasing our price. Um, mm -hmm. to make it more financially sustainable as a business. I think that, we were like 20% under what we needed mm -hmm. to be. And for like two years, we were like, well, we'll just have to make that work. I don't know. <laughs> right, right. And we yeah. finally got great, you know, we got a bunch of things aligned and we raised our prices. And sales went up. Interesting. <laughs> because you think that that was, was, did anything change in the process of it as far as like the materials change or anything like that? It was the like same exact hammock and you were just like. Same product, yeah, same, better presentation. Yeah, we eventually, mm. once we recouped a little, with increased margin, increased profit, we reinvested into the packaging. And so um, all of the hammocks now come packaged in a really nice custom made canvas tote bag. That's all also helped us expand our workforce and that's a whole separate conversation what we did there. Yeah. But basically, yeah, it allowed us to reinvest in the product. But essentially, the hammock itself was the same. We yeah. added the labels, mm -hmm. but... Yeah, we, okay, wait. We made some upgrades based on, like... It seems like the color changes, too, a little bit. It were more vibrant and more, like, just... I don't know. They just seem like, yeah. dang, I've never seen a hammock like this yeah. before. That's that's what I remember. And that was years so, ago. I remember that. Yeah, when we first started, um, this is actually really funny. This might, like, demonstrate the challenges of... Uh, challenges and benefits of an artisan model. But when we first started, it probably took two years to impress upon our weaving communities that it was important that each one look the same. Mm. So like, if we sold a, a hammock that had a picture and it was blue and orange on the site, it couldn't be blue, orange, and a little yellow on the side because you ran out of yarn. So you just use some yellow that you found because mm. people were, you know, we, we, we had to explain like they're seeing a picture of it. They want it to look just like that picture. And, and before, when we were first selling them at markets and things, every hammock was completely different, you know, and right. we started to pick up on the, on the trends and the patterns that people kind of liked. And now we continuously evolve the designs, which mm -hmm. is, yeah. So, and I, and I think again, like if you look at what's out there in the hammock market, most of the things you'll see are, you know, kind of off-white, uh, army green, maybe an orange if you're getting real zany. And mm -hmm. so it's fun for customers, you know, that we have a custom design your own feature where you could make, you know, to match your favorite team, choose the colors or to coordinate with your backyard or things like that. And that's only possible when you're doing this, you know, individual handcrafted thing. It, it adds to that kind of individuality that I think we're lightly touching on before with with the way artisan products are evolving was there let's go back to i think you joe mentioned maybe 2014 or you mentioned at the when you did like the unreasonable sort of event that that really i don't know if it triggered something but it, it validated something was there sort of a moment where you're like let's like just do this like quit everything we're doing because i mean i think it's a big deal to like say i want to do this make some sales but then also like dedicating your like life to it is <laughs> like a different step yeah I, I think the what allowed us to kind of go in full time there were a few things the one i like just the where the economy was um mm -hmm. i think i had been laid off um and also we won a business competition and eventually got into the unreasonable institute so going from the unreasonable institute mm -hmm. when we entered the unreasonable <laughs> institute 
that was the first time we really professionalized our operations and set out with some long-term planning to say, okay, here's how we're going to reach. I think we set a goal of having $500,000 in revenue that year mm-hmm. um, and and really just sketched out how we would get there. And they, you know, it's such a great organization. They set us up with mentors who were specific mm-hmm. to our field. And so we learned for the first time how to do wholesale, how to start like differentiating our, differentiating our products in the marketing in ways that we hadn't been before. And really went like, gung-ho in that 2014 to 15 year that was where I I feel like and and one of the things that we slowed down on was kind of talking about the business um because I think a lot of social entrepreneurs you've probably had on here there's a lot of opportunities to talk about what you're doing Mm -hmm. and um share your story and it's for us that became more of a distraction and Mm. less of a it, it took away from our attempts to get things done you know, we had our business was always profitable from the beginning because that was what we, we set out we as one of our to. precepts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and so we really just went like three years heads down in the work. I don't right. really remember them. <laughs> That's unreasonable. Just like set us into a, into a place where we're really like, okay, let's. Yeah, it allowed us to, you know, it was a a five-week incubator where you're in the same house with mentors and 12 other entrepreneurs working head down on your company, and you're surrounded with mentors that are specific to your industry, and that was critical. Um, And we came away with an actual, like, a strategic plan um, that was written, that we can follow, that that was adaptable, that we can pivot on, but, like, for the first time, we had a roadmap, and we weren't just kind of, like, selling blindly just kind of like yeah. tinkering it was like okay this is real people are connecting with it. we have an opportunity to build a real company let's surround ourselves with the right people and take it from there and they helped us boil it down too because i think originally we felt like our mission was all of these different things like now it's really easy for us to say like well our mission is to create jobs for mothers in rural hill tribe communities that enable them to you know for their families to flourish but at that time we said well, we want to help preserve these cultures and we're diverting people from slash and burn. So it's also good for the environment. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, we want these these people to have the good job, but like what communities are we working in? What, you know, and it, <laughs> it was, we had like all these like, theoretical questions that we were getting caught up in. And what Unreasonable helped us do was focus down to say, the best way for us to create change is to sell more hammocks so we can create more jobs primarily and secondarily to become a more successful company so we can help other people learn how to do what we're doing because there's Mm -hmm. such a huge opportunity here artists and activity is the second largest employer in the developing world and there's so you know only in the last few years have we really started to see companies pop up that are sustainable from a financial and a style perspective as well as their you know heart and right place mission what is the community i what's your conversations with them like now over this long period of time where you really <laughs> built a relationship with them, right? I mean, over time, they what's what's sort of how how's that relationship sort of just like blossom? And, and is it the same people you like originally went and found and worked with? I mean, at first, I really miss being back there because obviously this year we haven't been able to visit, sure. so that's yeah tough. Just because it's it always brings everyone so much joy. But I mean, they are just amazed that so many people all over the world are loving the products that they're making and they're constantly like who is buying all of these hands (laughs) (laughs) i mean they're just they but they love it it's it brings them so much happiness and 
kind of um, mean we've we've been going to that same village like you said almost 10 years now and so seen like people who were little kids you know when we were oh, first yeah. there driving now <laughs> um and and there's a long yeah there's kind of a long history we've seen kids outgrow their parents because they've they're, they've gotten such improved childhood nutrition that mm. you know when we go, i'm five three and when we go to the malabri village i tower over you know most of the older people and the kids are outgrowing me which is like a huge you know just this anecdotal but a marker of the success that we feel like it's having so and they're going to um the weavers are sending their daughters to college for the first time which is really unheard of right uh, in a lot of the areas where we work so amazing all around um it's been it's been fun but they're um yeah they're just in like really appreciative that people are, are connecting with the products um they're a huge part of you know our company and so it's and i think they enjoy the fact that we take on a lot of you know all that they need to do is weave the hammocks do what they do and, best yeah yeah yep and there's, there's worry about the, yeah, yeah. So they're enjoying it, right? I mean, they they enjoy they enjoy it rather than have to dealing with like the customer side of things, right? And sending yeah. stuff back, and you know, we with... and they're just like like standing outside on these like shady verandas they've built, like weaving while like chickens and dogs run yeah. around, and kids are playing, and I'm like, oh, this kind of seems I mean, nice. <laughs> it's like we want to take that that life and like really, yeah. you know, empower the people that are buying the hammocks to to live similarly, you know, to enjoy the little things, community. And it's, it's such a beautiful, it like it's, it's this kind of comes full circle once everyone's doing well. And so, um, yeah, yeah it's something that we really, everyone gets great joy out of. Yeah. That's, that's one of the funny things that, um, that we faced like early on and can, you know, continue to work through, but especially in the Malabri tribe, the first tribe that we worked with, um, there's a, there's a big cultural value around relaxation. Mm -hmm. and so and and like to the point that once their once their like basic needs are met they don't want to work anymore right and so right. we would be like please leave me for him it's like no i've got enough money oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. maybe next month we're taking a four-day weekend <laughs> <laughs> exactly and so that was you know it's one of those interesting things where um we we had to build the business model around that and, and accept it. Yeah. You know, that's, that's part of the things we're trying to spread. And so it's just, it's like very interesting when you're working across cultures, it's really important to listen for you. But their culture, around. pun intended, but their culture has like weaved its way into the brand, right? I mean, that's just, that's kind of what, what, when you go to the site and like, you know, every just the product and all the photos and, and like the marketing, it has that feel of like their culture, really, right? And you're kind of embedding that into North American culture, but global culture, right? Just people mm -hmm. who live in more dense areas rather than rural communities. I mean, these are people who like in their lifetime faced starvation and forced mm -hmm. imprisonment in camps and and yet have such a strong value on relaxation and enjoying life that even after escaping the depths of poverty, they still aren't going to become workaholics, you know, to, to, right. to protect, to, to protect yeah. themselves in the future. They still know that they want to enjoy every day. And that is just like, I, I, I struggle to uh, live that message, you know, live that message myself. And I want to bring it to more people. I wanted to go back to, something you mentioned earlier about the the ip part of things right i thought that was interesting and and i i think that's i, I don't know if the 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 throne product is like your first dip into to that toe right in developing that whether it's a trademark whether whatever it is i mean it's it's like amazing right and also you don't have to hang it right could fit anywhere right. so 
was that sort of the idea that came from that was it's kind of hard to have IP around like the actual weaving aspect. We have to create like a product that is just to us, you know? Yeah. The, the, as we started developing new products, we looked at how do we, first off, like what we wanted to do is make the hammocks more accessible to more people. And the way yeah. to do that is providing hanging solutions and building mm -hmm. out our hammock concierge, which is like our customer service and kind of like help team and the products and we wanted to develop the products to support that and so the hammock throne is really the first foray into like hard goods and gave us an opportunity to really tinker and come up with something that is, is like you know creating a whole new category of relaxation furniture like we hate to call it a hammock stand because it's yeah aesthetically and functionally it's unlike anything else it's, it's in a category of its own yeah and so that's as we look to whether it's developing a new hammock or a, a hammock hanging solution or something else, how do we really find find a pro like identify the problem that uh, a product problem and solve it with really good product design rather than again just going and buying something from that's off the shelf and putting our, our own label on it? Right. Uh, you know, how do we innovate and how do we also like because for us that's in line with our values of making leaving the world a better place. So inventing. And not reinventing necessarily, but like coming up with something totally new that adds value to people. And we always try to look at things, you know, from how it's made, right? The manufacturing story, but also the innovation mm -hmm. in design and yeah. um, using the appropriate material. And the, those three things are kind of like the, are the triumvirate of what we feel like is like a sustainable, worthwhile product to manufacture. Who's I like? How did that even come into the to the thought mm -hmm. process? Like, what, did you see something that triggered something and say, "Hey, I think we could do that," or were you just drawing up a ton of different like product ideas and, and that one kind of just hit? We knew we wanted to have a solution for the chair. Yeah, the hang our hanging chair is such an incredible product. It's really better than all the other hanging chairs out there. <laughs> like, the, I feel like it's the most differentiated of our products, just naturally, and it's also one of the lower selling styles because it's hard it's it's new to people it's confusing yeah, they're right. not sure they know how to hang it and what's so cool about it is that you have a you have the ability to kick back and have a full length hammock in just three and a half feet of space which means mm -hmm. you have it you know, theoretically in a dorm room right like right. your bunk you could have you could have it in a small apartment um and all these places that the whole time we were starting our company, we didn't own any, we didn't have any outdoor space. Uh, we didn't have any friends with any outdoor space, you know? And so it's starting to figure out, okay, even if you don't have that perfect backyard, right. how can we make 15 minutes a day of relaxation accessible to you mm -hmm. in a way that stands up to my very high aesthetic standards. And uh, Joe's really, <laughs> you know, technically engineered like specifics and, and all of those things. <laughs> One of the topics that's, a little, it's really interesting to me, especially just being in the social impact space so long. I usually, you know, I've seen a lot of the now successful social entrepreneurs start with like that landing page, right? Or start on Kickstarter, right? Now they've made it kind of so far where you have like investors looking at, right? Or other companies looking to, to acquire these brands now. And so the evolution has been really, really interesting. And I want to talk about like funding for a second, right? Because bootstrapping for so long is 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 really tough, right? I've I've done it with cosmos, right? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, just, it's a constant day to day, like brick by brick, building it up. And but at some point, I think you, uh, most entrepreneurs face that point where it's like to really take that next step, 
you know, maybe inviting more people on mm-hmm. board, right, from from a capital standpoint, but also that brings usually like advisory and sort of people who can uh, create different pathways, whether for you case maybe get into to sort of bigger stores and things like that. So what was the thought process? And tell us the raising money story. I mean, you kind of mm-hmm. had an interesting okay. uh, experience with that. Yeah, I mean, in the beginning we looked at, okay, like we just talked to maybe a couple of people and we're like, okay, no one's gonna fund yeah, right. a company. Like this is just <laughs> not. Um, and the amount, hockey stick? the amount of time we would have taken to fundraise, we could have just, we're like, let's sell product. We have a finished, yeah. like, let's get it out there. And so that's what we did. And eventually got to a point where we're like, we needed more money, but we still, no one was gonna fund a hammock company. We didn't have our plan together that we had yeah. after the Reasonable Institute. Like we, things weren't really formulated to that level where it was investable. So we just continued grinding it out (laughs) for a little while. And then through Unreasonable, we learned that, oh, there are actually mission-driven investors. Like it opened us up to this whole world that we weren't aware of. And we also realized that I don't, we didn't feel like we were ready to bring on like an equity investor, but taking on debt because we were selling products and we were able to structure a couple of loans from early advisors that have been absolutely uh, critical for us that allowed us to instead of taking a traditional loan the repayment was tied to sales so a revenue-based mm-hmm. repayment yep so that was with the Bulma foundation yep we should like give them a shout out because they're so innovative sure. doing such a great job working with early stage social impact social impact organizations where they just say like our relationship will be our due diligence start out with a small loan pay it back we'll give you a bigger loan yeah how do you spell that just for so i can put it in the show b-o-m-a Okay. Yep. Ron and Marlos Boehm. Yeah. And we started um, out with like $6,000 loan, repaid that 30,000 after that. I think then another 30, then, then repaid that 50,000 eventually got to, I think we had a hundred thousand dollar loan and we kept repaying these loans and learning that this revenue based repayment was working really well for us. But then we also got to a point where taking on debt was no longer like we, we were growing at a rate where we needed some equity investment to make longer term investments into the business. Yep. Yeah. And we went through a little bit of a, a process also like through these years, um, we learned we like what the bigger opportunity was. It wasn't just hammocks. We're really starting to build a relaxation brand. And that meant more than this one woven product that we had. It's, we were looking at how do we scale that? How do we make this so that it impacts more people, both on the consumer end, as well as on the social impact side and the supply chain. And there are a lot of direct to consumer brands being built around, you know, the last three years. And we started talking to more traditional, like venture capital investors. Yeah, yeah. wait, can I interrupt you sure. for a moment? I have like, a, I have a <laughs> mildly controversial thing to say. Okay. Um, which is, that I like I have, at, yeah, after our experiences, you know, with dabbling in fundraising and getting into these really exciting conversations with yeah. impact investors, I have, I think that the impact investment space needs to take a look at itself and recognize that the the reporting and this and the due diligence that they're putting onto these social impact companies i mean truly we just we've had a very difficult time finding investors that made sense to work with because they had such a need to micromanage and protect their investment which is you know first of all to me I was I was a political science major, so I don't know a lot about finance. But to me, the whole point of an investment is that there's 
some chance it will go wrong. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It. <laughs> um, and, you know, these same people with without these same organizations, the same, same institutions, without batting an eye, would write a grant or make a donation to a company right. that's not getting back. And they, and they wouldn't right. do it, you know. So I just feel like that the world of impact investment, you know, again, not not a major finance person, but as as an entrepreneur, I found it untenable, and I basically said, "Joe, I'm not I'm not going down this path anymore." And that was when we kind of started talking to friends who worked in the more traditional investment space, and it was a breath of fresh air. I mean, people yeah. were so, you know excited. I found the traditional investment space people were incredibly excited about our impact. Nobody said, "I oh, are going to have to drop that." You know, maybe it's because mm-hmm. we built a really big a good business at that point, and we had the confidence coming in, but. Right. I found it like so much more welcoming and enthusiastic and full of ideas instead of just like, you know, can you give me, well, I need an 82 report on your gears assessment. Okay. Wait, can I, I'm sorry. I know you mentioned 13 of the SDGs, but we really are looking for companies that fund 14 or more of the SDGs. And it was, it's a little bit of like, let's strive for perfection versus like just getting out there and doing things and learning as you go and improving. And I think that's hurting the communities that they want to be helping. It's I 100% agree with you. I I, I 100% agree with you. It's, we're not taking it like small steps, right? We want to, we want to go to the mountaintop before we can even like, all right, well, how about we just start with like getting people jobs, right? right? Because then that will create education opportunities. It'll create clean water opportunities, right? It's, I think instead of, oh, we want to work with companies going to solve, what, 14 SDGs? Well, that's great because you know what? That company will, does not exist, right? It just, right. It just yeah. won't exist. And if it does, it's probably not going to do a very good job at solving any of them, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I mean, it's, uh, yeah, no, I think that's a, it's a great point. And I've, I've seen it a, a little bit just, you know, dipping my toe into, into looking at, you know, funding and, and getting the strategic partnership for cause artists that I've noticed. You know similar things you know and it, it's it's kind of frustrating it's just like well i'm just gonna keep bootstrapping it until i you know until it's it just till it is what it is right but i find, i think it's just a great point finding the right people is the most important part of of this process mm-hmm. and, and got, i guess did you eventually find it yeah so then i made a rule <laughs> so then i was i was joe hell our patients joe has a finance background and i did not so i i was i was very did not understand the whole system, but I finally made a rule and I said, you know what? Fine. I'll take whatever investment. I don't care about the terms that much. You work those out. I just wanted to be with someone I would go on vacation with because mm-hmm. we're bringing someone like into this company that we spent all the time it's, building. Yeah. I just want it to be someone who would like, when I look at the phone, I don't feel sad. They're calling me. Right. No, it's it, listen. That's a beautiful <laughs> way to look at it. Yeah. And so we, we ended up, do you want to show into what really ended up happening yeah we things kind of played out not in the way that we envisioned necessarily um so after building out this whole philosophy and thinking things through so deeply like having this big list of like i would be willing to work with this firm right right we got a call we yeah we um we we went on shark tank i'll just skip ahead we we were invited to apply to shark tank they saw our kickstarter for the hammock throne and uh we went on the show initially skeptical of the type of deals that you find that you do on Shark Tank, but we knew it was going to be a great marketing opportunity to a way to get our story out and, and maybe get investment. But well, like, the whole, like the, the, the benefit of it was this, like you were talking about grant, like the, 
the channels that open up through that, right? If you take on an investment through these people, one, they're, you know, very experienced with consumer businesses, but also they're, they consider it a part of their job as the investor, just not to just be money, to be a conduit. And to For be sure. A it was very nerve wracking because, you know, uh, they don't have a, or they, they don't have the, a deep history of working with social enterprise. Yeah. It's almost laughed at too sometimes when it goes on there, right? Like it's right, yeah. It's far, it, it, it's very, it's a very, it, it's just off-putting a little bit, you know. It, it's just weird how they like, they like disrespect it for no, like no reason at all. Like it's just. And, weird. and I think it's evolving. I think they're. I, I agree because I think evolving. companies like you walk in, it's like, well, your business model is legit. Like even if you didn't have the mission side of things, it doesn't matter. The company stands on its legs on its own, right? Yeah you give up the control, right, of the edit. So you don't, mm, you don't know how much yeah, like. sure. And we saw Liz from Seiko Designs, I mean, one of the most incredible and well-spoken entrepreneurs with a very similar mode of operation and business model and goals as ours. And, and they just like, you know, the, the sharks just did not want to hear the great things they were saying at, at that time, a few years back. And so I had a lot of trepidation about going on. <laughs> I was very. I, I think that's a yeah. To me, that's a big just. It could. It could. Yeah, I think it definitely could. Obviously, do very positive things too. But some people take bad deals, and yeah. we you know it's. Yeah. And we had a lot of responsibility. We had hundreds of people, you know, back in our weaving community. So we promised we were working to make this financially sustainable. So we felt really, you know, like we needed to go in there strong. We couldn't be swayed by the lights <laughs> um, or you know the pressure and and it is a, in a high pressure environment <laughs> yeah and just before going on we we learned that um they had a guest shark on the show uh daniel lebetsky the founder of kind yep. who um is a incredible has an incredible history in philanthropy and building his company from a similar um yep value standpoint and just an incredible track record and things he's doing with hustle yeah and he's built kind literally going door to door selling yep. kind bars and like his story also took him 10 years to get to where he is and um, so then i immediately like <laughs> to completely switched roads and i was like no we have to go on we have to yeah get this for sure no 100 100 <laughs> that matters who's there right because yeah we felt uh, like we had a legitimate chance to actually get an investor and I should say we were we we were excited about some of the other sharks too because we knew the value that they can bring for building the consumer side of the business. Yep. But we also were like Daniel connects with us uh, with our mission. We knew that coming in. We wouldn't on... have to educate him on why we were doing things the way mm -hmm. we were doing them. Right. And, and that's what right. led. We found out from looking at all these different investments that takes a lot of time if you aren't feeling like simpatico on those on those lines. I think yeah. so. And so we ended up securing. Um, our first major investment in a place where we didn't even think we would. Yeah. Ever. That's so crazy. Happen. Not everyone who's listening to the show has seen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll link to it, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, in the end, I believe we went into the tank asking for $400,000. I was convinced we didn't need any investment, um, but I really wanted Daniel. And then he offered us a million dollars um, to invest in our company for a larger stake. And it's, it was, I mean, just the best decision that we could have made. Yeah. It's been yeah. incredible working with him and being resourced has freed us to make so many more leaps, you know, yeah. just in the last short few months, it's changed the way that we're doing business for sure. That probably 
did that allow you to, to do like sort of the, I mean, I know you did the, the, the Kickstarter through the throne thing, but had now has that sort of maybe escalated the idea of obviously scaling that, but also looking at it into more product lines because you're able to think deeply about those things rather than like mm-hmm. dealing with, with other stuff before. And product development is expensive. So if it's you're, hard, yeah. you have to wait and launch one thing at a time, yeah. unless yeah. you're resourced. In, in this case, we've been able to really speed up our product roadmap. We've brought on teams that are actually like expert in all of the things that we were just, you know, kind of figuring out um, mostly on our own, Mm -hmm. uh, you know? And so now it's, it's such a different world to be able to say like, Oh, I've got a good idea. And then kind of like kick it out to a few people and let someone run with it versus being like, I've got a good idea. Oh man, that's going to be a lot of work for me to yeah, figure right, out. Right, right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had been working that way for a long time, where anytime we thought of a good idea, then we had to do it ourselves. <laughs> um, I grant you, I know. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I know exactly. I mean, to do one product really, really good is really, really hard, right? Yeah. I mean, to do one product at some semblance of, of scale, right? Physical, a physical product. There's so many variables that go into that that it's really just, it's just hard to really do right, right? Like you said before, like adding like a simple like canvas bag, right? For the hammocks, right? We could say that's like, oh, it's just a canvas bag. Oh, that's a good thought. But like, that's not like a weekend thing and it's done, right? (laughs) Probably more time than you thought to even implement that one thing. (laughs) And then we ended up like with that project, we ended up starting an entire like cotton sew program down in the city of Prada that's diverting people from sweatshop factories. And we were just like, Oh man, there's like implications to everything you do when you yeah. start, you know, expanding out um, beyond your yeah, your core. And so finding that balance between focus and vision. So I'll end on the last two questions. One is when that that you know capital came in when you took that investment, was was the idea to really go after like e-commerce a lot more, or was it to go and try to get into you know wholesale, right? And sell to you know, targets or, or whoever at, at that level? Or was it is just a mix of both? I would say more towards shifting our business towards the direct-to-consumer model, but really yeah. focusing on the wholesale side, focusing on really good strategic partnerships. Yeah. Um, we had a couple of partnerships already in the, in, that, in the works and kind of like doing similar things around hospitality, mm. uh, retailers that can really tell our story. Places but, where people can really try out the hammock and experience it yeah. as a just picking it up off of a shelf that was that's kind of the vision that we have going forward at least until you know until people might be expected to have familiarity with how it's going to feel almost like a partnership with like uh i mean obviously now is not a great time but like hotels like their lobbies and stuff like that Mm -hmm. or hotel rooms like that could be also like a great space where like just getting married out as a client would obviously like change everything (laughs) something like that Mm -hmm. um that's I think if they're listening, they should call us. You know, we're, we're willing to take the long game on this one. <laughs> I think, yeah, no, I think they're, I think the hospitality industry is like ripe for, I don't know, innovation is the right word, but like disruption in the way that like people feel like go into a hotel and kind of like, I mean, now sucks, right? Because <laughs> right. Yeah, people just, it just, it's still a little different right now. But I think as we hopefully normalize maybe next year, I think I, I see with the like the airlines like like Delta like I think like every product that they have when you get like your snacks and stuff they're all B Corps mm-hmm. um, and listen headphones are in first class on Delta flights right so I think you're seeing these sort of like massive companies like 
look at their offerings and be like, we could probably do better than this, right? Like just Marriott having like just a janky shampoo like that's in their right. rooms. Like why not have a strategic partnership, you know, with somebody that can that can have a product in there that's that's great. And obviously if you walk in you have like a hammock cherry and that's gonna differentiate you from like oh a holiday God. in a song. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I think you're right. Like I think individual consumers have been voting with their pocketbooks for quite a while, you know, this last yeah, decade. For sure. But but I think that these larger corporate partners are gonna see the opportunity to like put some shine on these companies that are trying to get a leg up and receive some of that shine back. Like I will happily totally calculate agree. out how many thousands of dollars, you know, Marriott can return into our communities to tell help them tell the story of what they're this is a real story. It's not corporate whitewashing or what's it called? Greenwashing. Yeah. Um, this is, yeah. this is a real change that they can help create. So I do agree. Yeah. That, that's kind of what we're looking at with key partnerships now is people who can help us move the needle um, in terms of the exposure that we have and, and the way that we get into people's lives. Last question is, is we kind of started with, with the journey, right? So we're going to end with, with the future. And I know that's right yeah. now can be difficult to answer. Um, cause there's a lot, there's just, you know, it, it's just a lot of circumstances right now. Um, but as you, as you look maybe, you know, three to five years down the line, what does that look like? What does it hope? What do you hope that it looks like, you know, for, for the company and for you guys? Yeah. So, um, I love that question and we're thinking about it a lot right now and the, you know, heading into, um, you know, where we are today we had already been focusing around like, what is, what are hammocks, what the hammocks represent in people's lives. And, and we've mm-hmm. heard all these stories repeatedly of how the hammock is allowing them to transform their backyard. Even if like when they wake up and have a cup of coffee and look out in the yard and see the hammock, it brings them joy. It like puts them in a, yeah. seeing the product puts them in a different mindset. And so we really wanted to empower people to make relaxation a daily ritual in their lives. Mm-hmm. And, to take the kind of ethos that are that's encapsulated within a hammock and turn that into more of an experience in your home in your backyard and continuing to evolve our product line to really bring that empower you to again make relaxation a daily ritual a daily practice yeah that can mean a lot of things i, I realize that's a little vague but also staying hyper focused around hammocks and solving the how to hang problem but also like doing more content and empowering people um, again to practice relaxation so that's you know we really hope that we can achieve that through more innovative products like the hammock throne Mm -hmm. you know create this category of relaxation furniture and doing that all through maintaining our supply chain which will be a really great challenge we're excited for maintaining Uh, the positive impact in our supply chain yeah uh, exactly and and continuing to uh, empower more of our workforce um, and doing things, whether it's, you know, if it's not a woven good, like with the wood we're sourcing, right. to um, reforestation initiatives and, and really building out a bigger business that's doing things on the supply chain side that's in line with our core values and how we started. Um, and so that's kind of this next phase that we're entering right now. Yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, I think we, we've learned how to be Hopefully we've learned how to be like both focused and have vision. And that's the goal right now is to say, we know what types of things we see that we want coming up. We know that we definitely have this very clear vision that we will only be a company that's creating positive impact through the way that our things are made. But Mm -hmm. also like things are going to happen in the world. Things are going to change. We're going to stay fluid. Uh, You know, we got to keep on seeing the opportunities that come next because 
it's not just, you know, it's not just about the bottom line. It's about, there's already hundreds of people that are depending on us, thousands of people that are depending on us. And, uh, and you know, the goal is that there'll be even more people that we're helping to empower in the future. So it it is a different level of responsibility when you look at, you know, like a a time rate, like right now, failure is not an option. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's, uh, it's difficult when you have people that depend on, on you, right. And depend on, you know, people, consumers, you know, buying, buying things. It's, it's a tough, it could be a tough position to be in when things are like this, you know, which is mm-hmm. ob- hopefully, you know, um, but just trying to get through this time to where it's like, you know, we need to get past this thing. Has it, has it been a struggle for, do you see sales down just because people, or people are staying home more, right? So sales might be up, right? It's just a weird thing. <laughs> the biggest, the biggest fear that we had was like that, these communities that we work in, um, you know, like, like, uh, we're trying to empower people through, through the work that they have, what they have experienced in the past has been like the second that there's a dip in the global economy, these places at the bottom of the economic pyramid are the first to experience it. And so for us, it's been, you know, we feel the pressure to continue creating the good work. We also want to assure them that it'll be there. Like one thing we did, was create our own little stimulus package with our partnership with Kiva, where we were able to provide capital that secured everyone's job through the next 12 months. Um, wow. And that was really critical. Like we did that really early on so that people um, had the security. Mm-hmm. And we didn't lose our workforce too. You know, people might, because of the instability, even though they would make a lot less money if they were like, participating in slash and burn agriculture, mm-hmm. it might feel like the safer bet if we're not there to create reassurance, like this empowering job will still be there. Right. But when we did that, we also didn't know what sales would be like. And yeah. we started seeing a lot of the wholesale business um, was obviously stores are, are closed. Right. That took a major hit. Um, certain, you know, we weren't getting paid on certain orders and things like that. But having the closing the investment when we did was really a amazing timing for us uh, and then pivoting to more of a direct consumer model was incredible and that allowed us to make up and exceed where we were last year uh, and really bring like this again this relaxation into people's backyards and like as people are spending more time at home really yep. provide something that's really of value and that our people are benefiting from and so that's helped our company for sure mm-hmm. but it's been you know a little bit of a it came with some initial challenges that we work through for all the other entrepreneurs out there i just know how hard it is to push forward and focus when you're constantly worrying about the bottom line right that's been our existence um for a really long time and i this just like circles back to what it would be so great if our impact investment space was there with kind of open wallets to support the good work that's been going on so that people can keep on working the way we have to grow in this time and to secure their communities instead of the, the stress alone uh, can be so, so damaging to the forward progress that you've worked to build up. So um, I just feel for all our fellow entrepreneurs out there struggling through this time. And I believe in you guys. <laughs> yeah. What last thing I'll say is, is when, uh, when you're talking about like these partnerships and you're talking about doing like, uh, you know, more stuff around relaxation. I was like, what would be cool is that like if somebody ordered a hammock and they get it and then we open the box, they get like a free audio book from Audible. 
mm-hmm. right? Like having those partnerships mm-hmm. where, or like they get exactly. three months, yeah. three months premium to like the Calm app, right? There's so right. many meditation apps out there. The box, man, that's such an advantage yeah. to have like a person right. like not just open the box, like throw it away real quick, but like you get a hand and you're laying it down, like mm-hmm. you're opening it like slowly, you're taking everything out, you're reading the materials, like that's a real advantage you have where like people like super focused on yeah. opening your package. Oh, like wow. there's there's a wealth of stuff you can do there, man. So that that's gonna be pretty cool. Yeah. See how you can innovate that space. But better for that for sure. Thank you so I much. You. I love where your mind goes with these partnerships. You've got me inspired. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time. I mean, I, there's there's very I think there's very few uh, social impact brands that uh, you make it this far. Honestly, man. You know, like really, really do like. Uh, I mean, like you said, build that hundred year brand. I think it's. Uh, it's really cool to see like the original sort of social entrepreneurs kind of coming out of that, coming mm-hmm. out of that, that class, you know, you know, five, six, seven years ago. Um, that, that's just, it's, it's beautiful to see the success that, that people are having, man, and really kind of showing people how you can build a business in, in space that spaces you just may not ever imagine. Right. I'm sure, mm-hmm. you know, you wake up one day, it's like, <laughs> we have a hammock business. Like, right. I mean, you know, it's not like, you're not, you're not, you're not eight years old being like, I want to be a hammock entrepreneur. You know, like it's. I want to be so, a pirate. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, it's also where things could take us and, and travel is always a big part of, of, of inspiration for everybody, man. I always say this, but I would say 80%, 90% even of, of people I interview, travel has always been the inspiration uh, for why they do things. And right now we, we don't, you know, we don't have much of that right now. So we're having a, a wasted year of, of inspiration, but um, get in the hammock, let your mind travel. <laughs> just, you know, let let it take you. Don't don't uh, just think of how much money you're saving by just simply getting yeah. into a hammock. You know, it's <laughs> so much better than an airplane seat in an economy. <laughs> unless unless they rip out all the seats and they put hammock chairs in yeah. all the airplanes, yeah. then that would be cool. <laughs> we can finally retire when that happens. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, I love it. Uh, all right, well, Grant, thank you so well, much for having me. Have a great time, man. I'll uh, it's it's been fantastic chatting, and, and best of luck uh, rest of the year, obviously, and in, in 2021, hopefully. Yeah. Thank well. you. Yeah, thank you for all the support over the years.